You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Welcome back, fellow fantasy football fanatics, to week 11's edition of the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Per usual, our standard routine has become we're going to go over waivers, and then we're going to do a little bit more talking about rookie-wide receivers and how this draft class can uh, mold our opinions for future wide receiver draft classes. Maybe it's time to rethink the way that we all perceive rookie wide receivers going forward, but more on that in a bit. Let's jump right into a a lukewarm week of waivers, but for those in uh, Superflex or two quarterback leagues, there was a significant injury to Drew Brees. He, as most people know now, it looks like he has at least five broken ribs, which come with a collapsed lung. Very painful condition for anyone to play through. Um, And now we get, unfortunately due to an injury, but what some of us have been wanting is a return of Jameis Winston back into the fold. Uh, Mike, how do you see Winston's insertion into the starting lineup for at least a week or two, it seems like? Uh, Does it have an impact on the uh, positions, uh, on the uh, skill positions on the Saints and do you see him as a uh, as an improvement? Like, do you expect more production from from him more uh, over Breeze? I I don't think that Breeze provides a significant edge anymore at this point in time. Um, I think he boosts Kamara the most because he's very accurate with those short passes, and he seems to trust Kamara and have that chemistry with Kamara. Um, But I think that Winston can be trusted in games that the Saints are going to have to throw in order to keep up. If they're able to run and play Taysom Hill um, in situations where they're ahead or kind of neutral situations, then maybe it hurts Kamara a little bit. He gets fewer targets. Maybe it hurts Michael Thomas a little bit with fewer targets. But if they're behind, then it's going to be a situation where Jameis may be a little bit more willing to throw down the field. Maybe it helps Michael Thomas a little bit. Um, And I think that will be an interesting scenario. And maybe you can start him against good teams where we can expect shootout type situations, like maybe playing a team like the Packers where they'll have to throw or maybe the Bucks. Um, We know how the Bucks game went last time, but maybe it's a different story this time. Um, But that's kind of what I'm thinking. I think that uh, Jameis becomes in standard one quarterback leagues becomes um, a streamer who you would play in good matchups, but not really a must start quarterback when he kind of falls into the quarterback two range. Dalton, what do you think about the situation? Um, first off, like I'm just extremely excited to get Jameis Winston back out there. I mean, we get the experience now. We get the experience of him throwing the ball downfield, getting picked off at least one time a game, but he's also throwing for touchdowns. He's also putting up fantasy points. We've seen in the past couple of years, although he did have um, a great um, weapons in Tampa Bay, and he still does have great weapons with the Saints, um, he was a top six quarterback in points per game in both uh, 2018 and 2019. So I don't think it's out of the question that he can be a quarterback one uh, during this time. And I think you hit the nail on the head, though, that like, He's likely a streamer. We want to see how he plays with this offense because it's a different system. He's different players that he's working with here. Um, so I'm really curious to see how it plays out, especially with his skill set too because guys like Kamara and Michael Thomas aren't necessarily guys that are um, going deep as much. And when you think of deep um, kind of players for the Saints, um, 
I'm curious to see like who could potentially step up and be that guy for Jameis or whether Jameis kind of caters towards the skill sets of these guys. And I think the latter is probably what we're going to see more than uh, what we saw in Tampa Bay. You know, I, th- there's a few questions I think we need to, and I, I don't know if they have answers right now because we just haven't seen the offense. But, you know, number one, is Jameis going to be allowed the same liberties he was allowed in Tampa Bay, right? Where he could throw three picks and he wouldn't be benched. Is Or is Jameis going to just be the plug-in in the exact same system that Drew Brees had? Of course, is the system that Drew Brees had because he can't throw the deep ball anymore, so Sean Payton designed it exactly for him. Are they going to become a little bit more aggressive in terms of dot with Jameis Winston at quarterback? And on that same token, is he going to be allowed to throw deep and risk a couple turnovers a game? I don't know if Sean Payton is as gung-ho about that, the turnover stuff, as someone like Bill Belichick is. Um, but I also think, uh, I, I'm honestly, the more I think about it, I'm a little uh, less bullish, I think, on him than a lot of people in that, you know, anywhere inside the 10, Taysom Hill is a threat to be the quarterback Um because he, he, he brings the run pass option and we might see a lot of vulture touchdowns from Jameis who could pass for 300 yards with one touchdown. But meanwhile, here comes Taysom Hill and passing for 30 yards and a touchdown while rushing another touchdown in. Um, I, and I, I, I didn't see much when he was in relief that could give us an insight to that because obviously that wasn't part of the game plan him going in do you guys think they'll open up the offense or do you think he'll just be the plug-in hey dink and dunk your way down the field and don't turn the ball over I think the Saints do a good job of tailoring to their personnel and they don't have they don't have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and OJ Howard who can be targeted down the field it's just not their guys Michael Thomas is more of an intermediate target I think that Emmanuel Sanders falls into that category as well. And a lot of their passing game is built on short passes to Alvin Kamara. So I don't see the philosophy of the offense changing a whole lot. Maybe Jameis is a little bit more aggressive because Breeze is just so conservative. But I don't see a big change. And I do think that Jameis has a pretty tight leash. And if he makes mistakes, they do have another option in Taysom Hill. And if he throws an interception in a close game, maybe they bring out the Wildcat a little bit more and they run Taysom Hill because they've they've been successful with that in the past. So I don't think that we're suddenly going to see Tampa Bay Jameis walk through that door because he, he doesn't have those weapons that he previously had. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm cautiously uh, pessimistic about his fantasy prospects. I think a streamer in good matchups, but you know, uh, it's almost like owning a uh, uh, Devin Singletary in that you know that someone like Josh Allen's going to come in and get the get the rushing touchdowns and the short yardage touchdowns, and uh, I, I I think he's going to have to pass deep to have as much touchdown upside as as other streamers you can have, and we don't know if he's going to pass deep very often. So obviously, an ad for super flex leagues. It, is Taysom Hill worth an ad in Superflex leagues, or are we not quite there yet? I I don't think that he is someone that should be worth adding. If you look at uh, the snaps since uh, Drew Brees left the game, I th- believe it was 29 snaps for Jameis Winston, and Taysom Hill only got seven. So, like, we clearly know the backup quarterback is Jameis Winston, and I don't think they necessarily are leaning on Taysom to do much throwing. It's just more of like trick plays, like utilizing him all over the formation rather than him 
actually being a guy that you can rely on consistently. And I don't think he's getting enough of those type of plays that you'd like to see. Yeah, you got to wonder if they're even better off just putting in Jameis and not worrying about taste, having packages for Taysom Hill. But we've said that for <laughs> for a while now, and yet here he remains. Um, let's shift to the running back position and talk about a guy who pretty much came out of absolutely nowhere last week. You know, we knew, unfortunately, uh, Miles Gaskin, a late uh, round uh, zero RB hero, um, undrafted actually in pretty much all leagues. Uh, is on IR. Then we thought. Then we saw Matt Bryda maybe getting the work. Oh, he's injured. Jordan Howard was supposed to get the work. Surprise, healthy scratch. And here comes Salvin Ahmed. Um, this is a guy who I have heard of, and I'd say that's probably the extent of what I knew he was um, <laughs> going into this week. But I mean, he looked as good as any uh, running back who started on the Dolphins this year. What do we know about Salvin Ahmed? Uh, the most glorious thing about Salvin Ahmed is the fact that he not only in college was the backup running back to Miles Gaskin, but now he's filling in for his role again in the pros as well. Um, there's not much like uh, Salvin Ahmed was a guy that at the combine, oh, the reason most people have heard his name was because he was being hyped up as potentially the fastest running back at the combine. Um, that didn't uh, necessarily happen. I think he may have gotten hurt with it and he had a pretty uh, rough showing there, but um, he wasn't necessarily like overly productive in college, but again, we have to keep in mind that Miles Gaskin was there and Miles Gaskin has proven to be a good pro so far. Um, but in his last year with uh, Miles Gaskin out, he showed a little bit of work in the rushing and receiving game, having over a thousand yards and uh, over, um, 16 receptions. So there, there's some floor there. And I think like essentially then they were looking at someone who's almost like a Miles Gaskin light. And I mean that in every aspect of it, um, but he, they're giving him the work and that's what we have to be relying on. Yeah, the nice thing is he looked really decisive running the ball coming out. He didn't look hesitant or uh, patience, probably the wrong word, but he was hitting the hole well. And that's really the first time I've seen that from a Dolphins running back. So I think that they like him. I mean, out of the expected points for Miami running backs, a total of 17.8 expected points. Uh, Ahmed had 15.4 of them. So that's 86.5%. So that's really a workhorse role. So I think at least until we see a return of Brida and or Gaskin, um, we can expect Ahmed to be the workhorse there on a team that seems to like running with Tua at quarterback and relying a little bit on their defense. So at least for one more week, I mean, maybe we get Brida back this week. Um, Ahmed is an intriguing play. So he's definitely somebody that should be added in redraft leagues. But I don't know that he's somebody who's going to be having an impact once Brida and Gaskin return and and when the fantasy playoffs come. Yeah, that, that's the big issue with Ahmed is that I, I think – I, I don't think that Brida Brida seems like the kind of Taysom Hill of this situation where I think no matter what his role uh, just might not change that much. Seems to be the change of pace back no matter what happens because um, nowhere in the year has he been featured uh, like Gaskin has or Ahmed was for one game. But of course, Gaskin's going to be back quite soon, maybe for two weeks. Um, not a bad ad if maybe you uh, – looks like Christian McCaffrey is unlikely from the ports I saw this morning. Maybe if you have a Christian McCaffrey owner and you really need a guy to – need a win this week to ensure you make the playoffs or to make sure you stay in contention, maybe Ahmed's a guy you can target. Uh, but maybe don't spend all of your free agent uh, FAAB money on a guy like Ahmed when he's only going to help you for a couple weeks. Um 
the Kalen Ballad show, Balage, sorry, the Kalen Balage show continued in uh, for the Los Angeles Chargers this past Sunday. Um, once again, reinforcing the rule that once you leave Adam Gase, your life's going to get a lot better, at least in terms of production on the football field. Um, do we think he's uh, now going to have a solid role, even if Eckler comes back? I mean, Justin J- uh, Jackson is on IR. Joshua Kelly looks like just a guy at best. Um, and Tremaine Pope was never going to be a serious threat. So do we change our view on Balage going forward here? I think he's a little bit more intriguing because there's a lot of uncertainty regarding the return of Austin Eckler, and maybe you can get a few more weeks out of him and maybe his a role when Eckler returns. I don't think Balage, a former um, loser in fantasy leagues who is an Adam Gase pet who nobody believed in, suddenly having an impact is going to play a lot of snaps over Austin Eckler. So I, I don't think he should be relied upon uh, following the return of Eckler, but that remains uncertain at this point. We don't know when Austin Eckler is going to return, so maybe you can get two starting weeks out of him. It looks like Ahmed has a few more concerns for this week, and it looks like Gaskin should return after his three-week stay on the IR the following week. While Ballage, we haven't heard many updates for Eckler. I heard that he was there was a video that re- was released or something that it looked like he was running, so maybe he returns in a couple weeks. But if you can get two more weeks out of Ballage, that's nice. I I don't know that Pope is going to be having a role based on his playing time last week. And Kelly has just looked awful. Um, There's no Kelly is giving the coaching staff no reason to put him on the field. Ballage looks more decisive. He looks bigger. um, And he appears to be the guy who's going to play based on last week where the Chargers had 27.8 expected points for their running back and Ballage got 22.2 of those. So he had about 80% of the expected points for the running backs, which is really a workhorse role. So I think we expect that to continue until uh, Eckler returns. Yeah, I mean, it looks like Joshua Kelly is really the the Kalen Ballage of old on this team. And I uh, Balage, <laughs> and I, I do think Balage is going to get significant work. Maybe even when Eckler returns, he'll take over the Joshua Kelly role. Maybe ten carries a game, but again, he might be help you out in the next uh, in the next couple of weeks. Dalton, any thoughts on Balage? Um, I mean, I'm just I'm on the same boat as you guys, where it's like he's the guy right now while Eckler's gone, and I think like he now becomes the second fiddle to Eckler when he does return. So remains to be seen like what that workload will look like, but. Based on until Eckler gets back, like he saw 73% of the snaps, Joshua Kelly got relegated to 24%. So um, it really looks like he's the main focal point and he's kind of taking over that quote unquote Justin Jackson, Austin Eckler role um, as running backs just keep going down there. And Joshua Kelly just hasn't looked good enough to take over that role and warrant playing time. So he looks like the guy for now. Yeah, let's continue to turn back the clock to 2018 or even 2019 with Alex Collins, who... Uh, to DJ Dallas, uh, the chagrin of DJ Dallas owners uh, saw real significant work with Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson out. Um, Pete Carroll said that Carlos Hyde is closer than uh, Chris Carson, but wouldn't commit to either playing on Sunday. In this high-powered offense, um, is Alex Collins a guy we need to pick up as we continue to scour the waiver wire for – possible plugins at running back 
Yeah, I mean, they have a Thursday game, so there's not a lot of time for Carson and Hyde to get right. It's kind of interesting that I believe Sunday morning there was a report that Chris Carson would absolutely play on Thursday, and now Hyde is suddenly ahead of him. Maybe there's a scenario where Hyde returns, but Carson doesn't. I think that all of those issues are in play, and then we're seeing they face the Cardinals again, so it's another Cardinals-Seahawks game, and the question is, do we expect the Seahawks to be ahead and run Alex Collins um, in that neutral or ahead game script because if we're expecting them to be playing from behind then I think that with Travis Homer injuring his hand we need to monitor his status but if Homer isn't playing then DJ Dallas really becomes a de facto passing game back which nobody wants to hear after his poor performance last week so there's really a lot of issues at play and a lot of injuries that you need to pay attention to if you're going to hope to play one of the Seahawks running backs. Um, uh, I, 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 I forgot the game was on a Thursday, but I think it even makes it less likely. Pete Carroll is always, always uh, super optimistic when it comes to timetables. And the fact that he even backtracked a little bit probably shows it's not going to be a great sign for, um, uh, for Hyde or Carson. I know watching the Cardinals game last week, they lost Corey Peters, one of their run stuffing defensive linemen, um, and, you know, if they can keep the game within 14 points, which considering their offense and the Cardinals decent, but not, you know, shut down defense, they should be able to do. So maybe if you've been counting on DJ Dallas, now's the time to go get a turn back the clock with Alex Collins. Would love to see someone within their lineup starting a uh, Balazs and Collins. So uh, please send that to us if you if you fit that description. Uh some wide receivers that are worth noting, uh, Michael Pittman had a great, great, great Thursday night. He was injured early in the year, of course, receiving passes from Phillip Rivers as an outside wide receiver. Not exactly a recipe for success, yet here he was. Um, Pittman as a prospect was a bit polarizing, and Dalton, why don't you tell us why? I know he was a late declare, but other things in his profile uh, point to some real promising stuff. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think the biggest aspect with him that's extremely pro- promising is the fact that he got extremely high draft capital. He got taken with the 34th overall pick in a class that we've seen guys like T. Higgins and Ayuk and Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb and all these guys just ball out for him to be mentioned amongst those guys and get drafted within the same range of them um, is obviously extremely promising. And also another thing that's it's you like to rely on there is his um, his his weight profile. Um, being 223 pounds, we know players who weigh more tend to have more success and actually have higher upside than some other wide receivers. Um, also a great athlete as well. So, like, obviously there's some concern there with, um, you know, him being a late declare and him not necessarily breaking out um, early on in his college career, but there's a lot of other positives to his profile that do um, show some upside for him. Yeah, he's a he's an interesting guy. I think that his size and and often those late declares tend to have a better chance of breaking out as rookies. And early in the season, whether it's due to Paris Campbell or T.Y. Hilton or even Pittman being banged up himself, he wasn't seeing the same complement of snaps that he's seeing now. Over the past two weeks, he was at 89% of the snaps and then 84% of the snaps, totaling 37 routes on both week nine and week 10. He saw seven targets in week nine, eight targets in week 10, including three red zone targets, um, and totaled seven receptions for 101 yards. So 
uh, on a team that really needs guys who can catch the ball, Pittman seems like the most likely candidate, if any, are going to break out with the Colts. And targeting those young guys who we don't really know who they are, um, they're a little bit more volatile. Maybe we can get a breakout performance from them, especially when they're 6'4", 223 pounds and can run a 4'5", 2". Um, those guys are kind of the guys that you want to have on your roster at this point in time. Yeah, he's got a really good speed score. And, you know, I, I like that you mentioned the fact that the situation early on in the year was so different than what we have now. I mean, I think we can all kind of uh, have a little funeral for, for T.Y. Hilton, the guy who we all liked over the past decade. But, you know, he is not uh, he's not even close to what he used to be, not even use uh, maybe probably not even rosterable in many fantasy leagues. Um, unfortunately, our guy Paris Campbell doesn't seem like he's making a return this year. Um, and then there's that trio of tight ends who none of them get huge volume and their schedule coming up. The Colts is really, really favorable to the pass. Let me, uh, let me read it to you now. Green Bay next week, not great, especially if Jair Alexander and Kevin King are back, but week 12, they get Tennessee at home. Then they go into Houston in the dome week 13, great matchup week 14. They go into Las Vegas, another good matchup for passing. Uh, passing options in week 15 they get Houston again at home in the dome so I don't think they face one weather concern after next week Um, and they have a really they face a slew of just of teams that are just begging to be thrown on and Pittman is probably the favorite to lead the team in targets the rest way unless they continue unleashed Hines as we know Rivers loves to pass to running backs but He's still good enough to support one wideout, and I don't think there's any other real I, – I mean, I don't think Zach Pascal is going to do anything. Marlon Johnson maybe week to week will have a game here or there, but Pittman's the most promising of the bunch, and I definitely think he's worth prioritizing. Uh, another guy who has – who fits that bigger wide receiver profile, we haven't really talked about him since the Rams used to <clears throat> run a bunch of three wide receiver sets, and when Brandon Cooks was out, it was Josh Reynolds who was – uh, you know, a plug and play wide receiver three is that time has that time returned where we have to now take him seriously as a threat to Cooper cup and Robert Woods's targets. Uh, over the, if the past two weeks are any indication, then yes, we should. I don't know that I would invest a whole lot in Reynolds. It's not that he's not a good prospect, but it seems that Sean McVay wants to shift his offense from targeting tight ends with Higby and Everett more to then putting three wide receivers on the field. And at first it seemed that he wanted to get Van Jefferson involved and now it's Josh Reynolds, but he seems very wishy-washy with this third option, the offense. Maybe there's a situation where Reynolds overtakes uh, Woods and Cup is obviously a little bit banged up right now, but I think he's kind of the mainstay in the offense. Um, but it, it's it becomes difficult to rely on McVeigh's third option in the passing game when it's changed so frequently. So I would rather put my bet on somebody like Michael Pittman rather than um, Josh Reynolds, but there are a lot of good components to Josh Reynolds' profile. Um, the biggest thing to take away from this is not necessarily to go ahead and like fully dive into Josh Reynolds as a player, um, or, or like for your fantasy teams. I think it's more just like a concerning thing for Robert Woods. I mean, if we look over the past three weeks, we've seen you know Josh Reynolds get twenty seven targets. Robert Woods only got nineteen targets. So we're, Josh Reynolds getting twenty two percent of the targets. Robert Woods only fifteen percent. So like, hopefully this isn't a trend that continues. But again, there, there are some signs there that you know. 
Um, not necessarily that Robert Woods is the number three option in this offense, but like Josh Reynolds is doing enough to relegate to Robert Woods to like being the the guy. There's definitely Cooper Cup, and then you can make an argument that either Reynolds or Woods in terms of targets. So I think that's the biggest concerning thing about this. One one caveat to that is, it seems like McVeigh has taken a, a chapter, maybe even an entire section out of Bill Belichick's book, and that. This game plan seems to change from week to week completely, right? We can see this in how he uses his running backs. We now, again, have absolutely no idea what next week is going to bring in terms of, you know, we thought Daryl Henderson, well, Malcolm Brown started out as the goal line back with, uh, you know, Akers and Henderson mixing in, but oh, wait, Akers injured. Now Daryl Henderson's the guy and Henderson's still the guy, but oh, Malcolm Brown now gets half the carries, but now Henderson gets most of the carries. And now this week, we're back to that complete quagmire. My point being, that 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 this could have just been a function of um, we're going to get another wide receiver on the field against the Seahawks because we know they can't cover them. Their top three cornerbacks are out, despite their top three cornerbacks being really bad as it is uh, metrics wise. And uh, with their matchups coming, you know they face Tampa Bay. Uh, they are good against the pass coming up here. Then they go on to face San Francisco, solid against the pass. Arizona, good matchup. New England can be tough. But if you're a believer in Josh Reynolds, weeks 15 and 16, you get the Jets and the Seahawks again. So um, more of a gamble. I think I'd rather take a chance on Pittman, who has more of a guaranteed target share. But you could argue that in this offense designed by one of the geniuses of, uh, of our day, Sean McVay, if he's getting eight, nine targets a game, then he has to be taken really seriously. Last guy we'll talk about um, is a guy who Mike and Dalton especially really loved uh, coming into this year as a rookie. And Mike wrote a great article about him in the offseason. Is KJ Hamler, who has somehow been the most, uh, the more targeted, uh, at least recently, rookie wide receiver on a team with Jerry Judy. Uh, Mike, what can you tell us about KJ Hamler's usage? Um, Hamler has now pushed, uh, Judy outside. So he's getting the more valuable, uh, snaps in the slot. I think that Hamler was ignored a little bit too much as a result of missing the combine when he's a guy that broke out at a young age, 87th percentile. He had good college production. He saw a good target share. His size wasn't the best, but if you look at his production combined with the speed that he obviously has, his impressive draft position and a very good draft, he comps to guys like Deshaun Jackson and Brandon Cooks, those that young or that small speedster mold. Um, and there, there's just a lot to like about this guy. Over the last two weeks, he has 31.9... Uh, expected points. He was at 15 and 16 for the past two weeks. He's underperformed that, I think, due to all Denver pass catchers underperforming as a result of Drew Locke. But if there's somebody that's going to make a play and explode, it's Hamler. And now he's kind of at the point where he's seeing a consistent 15, 16 point workload. So if the quarterback play, I believe Drew Locke's supposed to miss this week. If the quarterback play can improve, then Hamler is potentially a guy that has the talent and has the workload to make an impact and potentially be a very upside uh, flex play if he's able to break one of those big plays that his profile suggests he should be able to do. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't know if I can take much credit for the KJ Hammer thing. That's all, that's all Mike that uh, that was hyping him up, and you got to give him props for that. But um, 
at the end of the day, like he's a riser and we we've touched on it that in the second half of the year, these, these rookie wide receivers are going to start, start doing a little more. And we've seen in the past couple of games with 10 targets each, like again, like he's hasn't been efficient with his targets and it's mainly because of the quarterback play out there. But again, these are the type of opportunities that you want to chase. And I think he just kind of been going under the radar because he hasn't necessarily produced uh, fantasy points with these targets over the past couple of weeks. But again, like all the things that we're looking for in terms of like positive indicators for um, success in the coming weeks, like we have seen that over the past couple of weeks from KJ Hamler. So it's exciting. Yeah. And uh, you know, if you're in dynasty leagues, might now might be a good opportunity to buy him. Uh, if you're still have trading open in your leagues, you know, they, uh, his, his production has been great, been flying a little under the radar, but if he's being used like this, you know, he's a guy who we're going to be wanting to target next year in drafts. So for our listeners, why don't we end this segment by, uh, Mike, rank the running backs in order of how badly you want them in terms of Ahmed, ba- uh, Balaj, and Collins. I'm going to go Balaj, Ahmed, and then Collins. I don't I don't even know if Collins is a good start for this week. We're going to need some injuries to make sure that's the case. I think Ahmed is going to be in the t- running back 25 to 30 range this week, so he's going to be a low-end running back two slash flex play. And then Balaj, I, I think we have one more week of production from at least maybe two before the return of Eckler. So he would be my number one waiver priority, assuming he wasn't added last week. Okay. Dalton, running back, same. Are you the same as Mike? Are you switching it up? Yeah, I'm going to have to go for that same reason too. Like, um, Balage, um, I like the offense a little bit more than Miami's and Ahmed. I mean, Gaskin was only out, what they said, originally three weeks and it's already been two weeks. So um potentially could be back in a couple weeks so i think that um there's more reason to be excited about balage there in that offense and then i'm just putting collins last because again we're still waiting on returns for guys and he's not seeing the type of snap share and touches that we're seeing from balage and Ahmed right now and for wide receivers i think we all like Pittman the most but reynolds or hamler dalton i'm gonna go hamler i, I just think the upside is there in terms of I think just as a player, I think Hamler has, it just has a better profile than Reynolds. Even though he's in a worse offense, he's also getting more targets over the past couple of weeks than Reynolds has. So um, I'll go with Hamler. Mike? Yeah, I'm 100% Hamler. I mean, Hamler has 20 targets over the past two weeks and topped 100 air yards in one of the games. Um Reynolds is on a team that wants to run the ball and play conservative and hold the lead and hide their quarterback when Denver can't do that. Denver has to pass. And Hamler is one of their most talented weapons. The problem is there's a lot of talented weapons on that team, but Reynolds, I don't think is a top four weapon on his team. And I don't think we can rely upon him getting snaps and him consistently getting targets. I think that you can for Hamler. Yeah, I got to agree with you guys on that. Uh, the last time we'll do a little check-in on rookie wide receivers and take a bit of a more a metacognitive approach this time in terms of, you know, we can beat the horse, uh, the dead horse as many times as how good this rookie wide receiver class is. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but also what we can learn um, going forward into future seasons and um, uh, and other lessons that we can take from the Chase Claypools and Justin Jeffersons of the world. But I do think it's important to put Justin Jefferson's uh, statistical dominance in context. Dalton, I know you have some great stats about just how good he's been in this now quite large sample size. 
I mean, Justin Jefferson's been absolutely phenomenal, and everybody knows how good he's been, but in context to what we're looking at historically, I think that there's an argument that he could potentially be having the best rookie wide receiver season ever if we look if we take into account his efficiency within the whole scope of that. Um, Justin Jefferson's currently amongst all wide receivers in the first nine games in their career. He's currently fifth all time on that list. And every single person in the top 10 has had over 70 targets. And if you look at the top five, it's littered with guys who have 89 targets uh, for Marquise Colson, 82 targets for um, a guy like Odell Beckham. And then we're talking about other guys in the top five that are having 80 targets that it takes them, Jeff, Justin Jefferson, 54 targets together. So within the context of what he's doing historically, like even comparing him to someone like Randy Moss, he's up there with him, obviously not the touchdowns, but just like, like what we're seeing is historic and it, what, I mean, like what he's doing just screams absolute superstar dominant. Um, like his career arc right now is just, it's sky high. It's, it's through the roof. Like I, I, I don't have words to describe how good he's been historically. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, if we, we talked a lot about AJ Brown's efficiency as a rookie and being the most efficient rookie wide receiver ever and Juju previously the year before. And at this point, if you look at fantasy points per attempt for all rookie wide receivers that played a minimum of five games and averaged 4.5 yards per uh, targets per game. So we're just trying to put some minimum thresholds there to exclude players who maybe got five targets their rookie year. Um, Justin Jefferson is number one in expected points added since 2000 out of all receivers um, per attempt. So per attempt, he may be the most efficient rookie wide receiver ever. Uh, It's hard to understate what he's doing after not really being involved the first two weeks. This guy is arguably the best rookie wide receiver we've ever seen. Um, He ranks, uh, for some context, I think Adam Levitan tweeted this out this morning. He uh, last year, Michael Thomas led the NFL in yards per route run at 2.88. Um, Justin Jefferson's first this year at 3.23. I mean, that is a huge statistical difference. And uh, for uh, for our listeners, uh, when Mike talks about uh, points um, uh, points above uh, expected, right? Points added after expected points, right, Mike? That's what you were talking about? Points above expectation. So basically, the, the, the expected points is how many kind of a league average player would would do with that attempt. He has added the most. So he has made more of his opportunities than anyone in the league, basically. Um, he has he already has as many 100-yard receiving games as Randy Moss did in his rookie year. And, you know, uh, I don't remember his pro- his profile was always good, but I don't remember it being that much better than someone like, uh, you know, Jalen Rager or um, other those mid to late first-round picks. I uh, uh, I can't uh, I I didn't see this coming, and it looks like you know we were the ones uh, in the wrong in terms of them letting Stephon Diggs go. Uh, Justin Jefferson looks like he is on just a completely different planet. What about Chase Claypool? Yeah, I mean, if you look at that expected points added list, that Justin Jefferson is number one expected points added per attempt. Number two is Martavis Bryant. Number three is AJ Brown. Number four is Juju. This is all during their rookie year. Five is Lee Evans. Six is actually Dante Pettis. Seven, Calvin Ridley. Eight, Odell. Nine, Mike Wallace. Ten, Keem Nix. Dante Stallworth, Julio Jones, and then Chase Claypool. 
So, and then it's followed by Keenan Allen and Michael Thomas. So these are all guys that just outperformed expectations wildly as rookies. And Chase Claypool is right there. I mean, the guy is outperforming Des Bryant through their first nine uh, NFL games. So it's, it's hard to understate. I mean, in a situation with two very good wide receivers on the same team in Juju and Deontay Johnson, they're throwing slants to Chase Claypool when they get in the red zone. He's the guy that they want to put the ball in his hands. And it makes sense when you talk about a guy who's 220 to 230 pounds and runs a 4-4-2. Yeah, I mean, he's just, he's absolutely dominating right now with those touchdowns too are giving him just such immense upside um, to his profile for future years as well to score nine touchdowns in your first um, nine career games. It's just phenomenal on top of the efficiencies he's doing. And we've seen over the past couple weeks, he's just been able to see massive target share there or not target share, but massive targets. So look over his last three games, he's had at least nine targets in the past three games. And, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, it was, it was all about efficiency for him. And now we're finally seeing that targets to where he actually can produce now. And they're utilizing him in that role, seeing over 77% of the snaps the past couple of weeks. And that's Overall, it's really exciting. And of course, you know, we we're forgetting about other guys who in any other year we would be screaming about guys like Brandon Ayuk, um, other rookie uh, rookie wide receivers who have been who have been fantastic. Um, and I think it's important to take this moment and reflect on it in terms of when it's August next year and we're drafting our fantasy teams and we and we're saying, ah, you know what, the trend maybe last year was an outlier or the trend is usually that the rookie wide receivers don't produce as much. What what should we be – what should we remember? Should we adjust um, our mindset? seeing what we know now in terms of like next August should be like, Hey, remember what November a uh, fantasy owner was telling yourself, you should change your mindset to blank. Any, any insight there? First, I need to give an honorable mention to T Higgins because he's yes. another rookie wide receiver. That's uh, averaging five catches for 75.4 yards and a half of a touchdown every week, despite not being involved during week one and I think week two. But I think it's a very serious question as to how you need to realign expectations. Remember, in the past, rookie wide receivers have kind of been fool's gold. You look at somebody like Odell breaking out, and then the following year, as a result of the rookie wide receiver having such a big impact, you see a lot of people draft rookies um, with a valuable draft pick and not see results. And that was kind of talked about amongst the industry that you shouldn't be targeting rookie wide receivers. After a year like this, I think that whole notion needs to be reconsidered. Remember going into this year that COVID was supposed to impact rookies negatively. They weren't supposed to have time to perform, um, act with their team, learn the playbook and earn a valuable role. And we just saw that whole notion in theory disproved basically immediately. Um, you need to remember that rookie wide receivers generally explode in the second half of the rookie year. We saw it out of Juju. We saw it out of AJ Brown last year. We saw Metcalf come on, especially including his 160 yard playoff performance. So that's one thing that we know with rookies. We want our fantasy teams to be better in the second half of the season. And that is precisely what rookies do. 
they always get better in the second half of the year, assuming health. And we can expect the same from, I, I don't know that Justin Jefferson can do a whole lot better. Same with Claypool, but these guys are not at their peak yet. And they're going to be better in the second half of the season based on ADP Lamb, CD Lamb was expected to be the highest scoring rookie wide receiver. If you aligned an implied scoring total based on his uh, ADP, which was 121st overall, he had 136 projected PBR points. Regardless of Dak Prescott's health, we can certainly expect CD Lamb to outperform that, but Think about all of the rookie wide receivers who were drafted after him. I mean, potential league winners, if we're going to use that term, include guys like Lamb, assuming if Prescott never got hurt, Justin Jefferson, who went much later, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, um, looks like maybe a low-end wide receiver one or a high-end wide receiver two. This guy wasn't even drafted in 18-round um, ADP of Apex drafts. Uh, and then obviously Claypool, who wasn't even close to be drafted either. So just out of that group where if you look at the pool of veteran wide receivers, who are we talking about who is drafted outside of the first 18 rounds, who's like a potential league winner like T. Higgins and Claypool are. So there's no doubt that there's a volatility with these rookie wide receivers where maybe they aren't able to earn playing time. Maybe they are, but embrace the volatility because these guys can be huge for your fantasy team and they they potentially come with an upside that veteran existing nfl players just don't have well we we embrace the volatility because that's what makes them cheap right and for, for me the lesson is kind of going to be when we're approaching round 14 right if we're saying "Ooh, there's james washington on the board and he could be you know he could see six seven targets a game in pittsburgh a strong passing offense maybe we pivot to someone like Claypool, right? If there is another, if you're looking wide receiver in the late rounds or early in the season to pick up guys on the bench uh, for your bench spots, um, maybe we tend to go toward the rookies and see what they've got. And most importantly, maybe, is to not bail after, you know, if you bailed after two weeks, where would you be if you had T. Higgins, Jefferson, and Claypool, and Ayuk? Right, you would you would have dropped all of them. Now, of course, that becomes tougher as the bye weeks approach. Uh, but I think you really hit the nail on the head there, uh, Dalton. Any change to your mindset going forward about rookie wide receivers, especially in redraft? Um, I mean, this is a, this is a loaded question. I mean, if we just, I mean, just I'll, I'll say this based off what we've seen this year. Um, if we look at it, the win rates for wide receivers so far in best ball, four out of the top seven wide receivers in um, win rates are actually rookie wide receivers. So Chase Claypool leads the pool, and then Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, Tyler Lockett, Brandon Ayuk, DK Metcalf, and T. Higgins. Mind you, a guy like T. Higgins has a higher win rate than someone like Devonta Adams because you're getting them relative to cost. They're helping your team out a lot more. So I think like within the context of understanding that um, these wide receivers potentially have the upside to do this for you. And if you are to target wide receivers in the double digit rounds or basically like at the end of drafts, like those would be the type of wide receivers to target. But at the same time, we have to look into context of how special this class is and look at individualistically um, how likely it is that these players do it. I mean, if we look all the way back from 2010, we're only getting on average 2.8 um, 
rookie wide receivers per year that are only averaging 160 PPR points for the whole season, which would be roughly 10 points a game, which is basically like very minimal like flex play, right? Um, but if we look at the last or the last two classes, we've had in 2019, we've had six six uh, players hit that number. And then this year, we're having six wide receivers that not only, not only going to hit that number, but they're going to smash over the number and likely hit close to, we're going to have five hit over on pace to hit over 200 PPR points. So um, if we look at other draft classes, like 2018, we only had one player do that. 2017, we only had two. Um, and then even 2015, 2016, we had five combined players. So like in context, this doesn't happen that much. But again, we've had two very good classes that also potentially could be um, giving us some potential recency bias of like these rookies that are doing a lot in their rookie season. But again, at the same time, we're potentially having another great class next year too. So we'll see. That I was just about to comment on that, right? At, you know, we have next year, you know, keep your pants on for this one. Jamar Chase, Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, Justin Ross, Chris Olave, uh, Tylen Wallace, even a guy like Terrence Marshall from LSU or Seth Williams from Auburn, you know, pants are off. You know, these, these guys are all really, really, really good prospects. I mean, people just wait till March and you're not going to hear us shutting up about Rashad Bateman and, uh, and Rondell Moore, not to mention guys like Jamar Chase and Waddle and Devonta Smith. So, you know, I think especially for next year, we need to remember that no matter where these guys end up, maybe it's not a bad idea to, to take, to take them and hold on for dear life uh, until the bye weeks force us to drop them if they're not producing. But, you know, it, and hopefully the NFL learns this lesson too, right? Even in this COVID shortened off season, to put it kindly, uh, these rookie wide receivers are doing something that's never been done before in NFL history, really as a group. Um, and maybe the coaches have to remove their old fashioned glasses to, oh, well, rookie, we need veterans to play more. Rookies can't do what veterans do, blah, blah, blah. That clearly uh, isn't the case. So just as a quick sneak peek, Dalton, uh, uh, obviously, I think you're a Jamar Chase guy, uh, number one. But are you more excited about Rondell Moore or uh, or Rashad Bateman? Um, Rashad Bateman, and I'll say this: I think so highly of Rashad Bateman. I actually had him over Jamar Chase until I saw J- Justin Jefferson start falling. Like I, I think Rashad Bateman is the guy who can do everything. He's he's someone who can win at all phases of the field. He's great. Yards after the catch, he's a big body guy. Like I think that he's someone who is going to be a superstar in the NFL. And um, I think Rondell Moore is obviously a fantastic player and his, his metrics there. But I think the the edge for a guy like Bateman over Moore would be his size. The fact that Rondell Moore only weighs roughly, I think he's going to max out maybe like 190 at the combine, while Bateman can hit you know close to like 220. Um, I think that's going to be the main difference for me. And I think Bateman's just a future superstar. Yeah. And, uh, Mike, any other last words on uh, on rookie wide receivers this year? Just, you know, hold on, enjoy the ride, or? I mean, I think after a rookie season like this, 
Justin Jefferson is just a must must draft in year two, along with the other guys that we've mentioned, T. Higgins, Chase Claypool, CeeDee Lamb with the return of Dak. Like these guys are going to get better. Don't think that just because they've had a really good rookie year, it's kind of an aberration. These guys are really talented. And I think if you watched last night's game, you maybe already thought, I certainly thought that Justin Jefferson is better than Adam Thielen at this point in time. The guy is just special. And those are the kind of guys you want in year two. Obviously, when we talk about drafting rookies in the first year of their redraft, what matters most is price. And Jamar Chase is such a big name. Maybe he's super expensive. Maybe people are expecting too much out of his rookie year after what we've seen these guys do as rookies. So we need to continue to pay attention to price. But don't just scratch these guys off your board as a result of them being rookies because we've seen that a lot of these guys who came in this year are already some of the best players at their position um, immediately on their teams, at least, if not in the entire NFL. So so what you're saying is our listeners and readers are going to have to spend another offseason hearing us yell about how to draft the second-year wide receivers? That's not going to stop. If you're sick of that, you should probably go listen to another podcast. (laughs) No question about that. We're going to be very excited about the sophomore class next year. Well, that is all we have for you today in week 11. Keep on keeping on. We're in the stretch run toward the playoffs. Um, Hopefully no more injuries, and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast.